There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have startup expert Stephen Hoffman. Stephen Hoffman is the CEO of San Francisco-based Founders Space, one of the world's leading startup accelerators with more than 50 partners in 22 countries. Founders Space has been ranked the number one incubator for overseas startups by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazines. Stephen is a venture investor, a serial entrepreneur, and the author of Make Elephants Fly, The Five Forces, and his 2021 book, Surviving a Startup. That'll ring a few bells with people, I think. Stephen has a background working in TV development in Hollywood, and through his own startup, Spider Dance, he's produced interactive TV shows with NBC, MTV, Turner, Warner Brothers, and more. Spending time in Silicon Valley, he founded startups in the entertainment and game space and worked as mobile studio head for Infospace, where he contributed to games such as Tetris, Wheel of Fortune, and Tomb Raider. With its mission to educate and accelerate entrepreneurs, Founderspace has become one of the world's top startup accelerators. And with his personal focus on innovation, Stephen has trained hundreds of founders and executives from organizations such as Qualcomm, Huawei, Intel, Disney, and more. Stephen, welcome to the show. Fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me. You have such great energy. I'm really looking forward to this uh, this conversation. Um we start off the Startup Canada podcast by asking our guests what the key message is that you hope our listeners will take away from this conversation today to make sure they know this is the most important thing they'll do all day. The key message that every entrepreneur should take away today is doing a startup is incredibly hard. It's a tough thing, but you can actually train yourself to overcome most of the obstacles. So there is nothing in your path that is insurmountable. In fact, I would say, and this is a big bet, that any startup with the right team at the beginning can succeed. 
So I always tell entrepreneurs, if there's one piece of advice that they need to start out with when doing a company is don't worry about your idea because that will probably change. Don't worry about building a product. Don't worry about raising venture capital. Put 80% of your time into bringing together the most amazing people you can. The people you think are so incredible that no matter what you do, it will turn out to be something new and original. And if you do that, your chance of success goes up exponentially. And uh, from what I know of your work, when you say the most amazing people you can, it's not its not the most amazing people you know. It's the most, most amazing people you could possibly ever know. Is that right? That's right. So a lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, I'll use my cousin Joey over there and get him in there. Or, Joey uh, you know, was my... smart and he plays the piano. Yeah, and, and he's available. And there's this guy I met last week and he's available and so on and so forth. It's not who's available. It's who are the best people to actually take a project in the area, in the segment that you're focused on and bring it to fruition, because that is the hard part. You know, so many companies, they focus on their idea. They're like, I have to have the, the best idea before I start. Well, I tell entrepreneurs, you don't even need to start with an idea. Like if you're doing a startup, the idea can come later. Get the people first. And if you look at some of the best startups out there, the ones that have really broken through, almost invariably, uh, they have changed ideas along the way. You know, YouTube, we all know YouTube. They didn't start off with the vision of becoming the largest video portal in the world for broadcast online. They, they were a video dating site. If you look at even Google, you know, their original idea was to do a nonprofit to help professors and academics search for research papers online. You go down the list of all these startups, Twitter was an entirely different company when it started. It was into podcasting of all things. So don't focus on that idea, focus on execution. Right. Now, one of the things that I'm thinking is that if I were to seriously think about following this advice of yours, I think, well, if I get that person, he's so smart, he or she is so smart, they're going to end up running the company and, and, and shunning me aside. So how do you deal with the fact that founders, they often want to be in charge and they might be more worried than they should be about losing control? So there's so much work to do in a startup that if somebody can end up doing an incredible job, let them do the job. Now, look, you're in a startup. You're with three other people. One of them is an incredible engineer. Are they really going to want to be the CEO role? Well, if they're an incredible engineer, they're going to really focus on engineering because that's where they can deliver the most value. If there's somebody else in your startup who could be the CEO and you could be the CEO, honestly, ask yourself who can do a better job because at the end of the day, you're all going to receive founder shares. Who can... Whatever person could do the best job should be there. And just because you were the one who kind of got the ball rolling doesn't necessarily mean you need to stay in your position. So let your insecurities go and think of the end game. What positions do we all need to be in so that this company succeeds? Put the company before your ego. That's fantastic. Let's head back to the beginning a little bit here first before we get into more of this advice. Um, you started a number of businesses, both privately and, and venture-backed. You've worked with lots of founders and executives. What would you identify 
as your own biggest success? Oh, there are so many different things I've done. I've done three venture funded startups, two bootstrap startups, and their successes on different levels. So let me give you a little bit. Like my first company was bootstrapped. So when it was a game company, I had this vision. I wanted to create a nonviolent game that of all things teaches people how to become entrepreneurs, which is sort of what I'm doing today, only it's not a game, it's for real. But the game was called Gazillionaire. I literally coded it all myself, You know, spent hardly any money, put this thing out there into the world, and it was a huge success. We got uh, the top PC game publisher in the world, picked it up, put it in all the retail stores, put it everywhere. This was a while ago. And I will tell you, I've never felt better in my life. So even though it wasn't as big a success as some of the later ones financially, it was still a big success financially, but not on the scale of other things. It personally, because it was my baby, I'd given birth to this the first time I did it, felt so great. And then if you fast forward all the way to what I'm doing now, which is founder space, where I actually get to work with entrepreneurs all over the world, like amazing people, this is my dream job. Like I literally get to spend my time talking to people who are brilliant in their fields and I give them advice and teach them what I know and what I've learned through my own experience. But every day I get to learn something because they know so much about like their specific field. If they're working in biotech or they're working in software, AI, whatever it is, robotics, they are kind of opening up doors for me. So, you know, each company has its own thing that made it special, but I love what I'm doing now. Fantastic. Can you tell us about uh, some of the entrepreneurs you've worked with? Are there any of them whose names or companies or ideas we would recognize today? So there are some amazing companies. And I'll, I'll focus on some of the more recent ones so that you can get a feel for them. The, there's a company that came out of our Founder Space Accelerator called EQBot. Now, you may not be a household name, but they are doing incredibly innovative stuff. Sorry, and incredible. EQ, the t- letters EQ bot? Yes, cool. EQ bot. You can go there. And what EQ bot did was they were the first startup in the United States to actually use AI to power an exchange traded fund, an ETF. So they made the first ETF that the AI did all the trades and they put that out there. It just went ballistic. Like they had, they had, uh, you know, Bloomberg, you know, Wall Street Journal, everybody wrote up about what they were doing because they were the first, which is that first mover advantage. And they, they, they've grown their portfolio under management to $1.6 billion, like from this tiny company. Wow. They've also th- thought beyond that and they actually made it into a platform now. So it's not just an ETF powered by AI. It's an AI platform that can power entire portfolios for any large nonprofit, any large corporation, even a government pension fund. Anything can be run by their AI on their platform, managing the portfolio, buying and selling stocks. So that's one. That's very cool. Yeah. Do you want to do one more? Sure. I have plenty. I can go all day. Um, (laughs) So another one, and I love these AI companies because I'll tell you, AI of all the technologies out there, AI, I think, is the most powerful and has the broadest applications. It it will literally, AI through 
robotics, through online software, is changing every single industry on the planet. There's nothing that's not going to be touched by it. So another company, and this is something I like to see in startups. I'll give startups advice. I always tell startups, don't build products. And they're like, what? Don't build a product? I'm like, build a platform. And what I mean by a platform is that when you build a platform, you get other parties involved and you build an ecosystem, third-party developers. Uh, that is when your startup goes from a product startup, which has a certain amount of potential, maybe you know a few billion dollar you know, market that they're after to an, a company that uh, becomes like a Google or a Facebook. So the, the next company, they're building a platform too, and they are focused on vision software run by AI. So basically, they have these AI models that they built that anybody can take these and apply them to solving really complex problems in the real world, like spotting forest fires when they, when they first start and predicting their spread. Uh, doing uh, tracking disease, like an outbreak of disease and where it goes. So they have built this AI platform. It's called Chooch.ai. So Chooch.ai, pretty amazing startup. Say C-H-O-O-C-H? Yes. Chooch.ai. I'll check that out later. That sounds fascinating. Um, it is. Yeah, and, and, and obviously great examples of how AI is changing every industry, very different industries and uh, looking at those uh, opportunities. Now, I'm broadcasting from Toronto. Toronto was a pretty important city in the development of AI. Um, but of course, people who understand AI are very expensive. Any thoughts on how one might develop a really close friendship with, <laughs> with, with someone uh, who knows something about AI to get them involved in, in whatever startup might come out? Yeah, yeah. I, have, I get asked this all the time. I'm like, we're a startup. How do I, you tell me to go out and get amazing talent, but how am I, I don't know any yeah. AI developers. And these developers, they, they could be working for Google or Facebook or Microsoft earning tons of money. Why are they going to come work for me? Like, I, the, my retort to this is it's your job uh, to get people to buy into your vision when you have no money. Like as a venture capitalist myself and all the venture capitalists I work with, that's our litmus test. Like for an early stage startup that doesn't have traction, they don't have significant revenue growth or user growth, how can we judge if this startup is gonna succeed? Well, we look at the CEO. Is that CEO able to bring on board A-class players, even though they don't have money. They only have a vision and some equity, which could be worthless or could be worth a lot. Can they do it? Because if they can do that, if they can sell their vision to these people, if you can do that as a CEO, you uh, you have what it takes. Like you're pretty much, that's a great hurdle. Like if you've crossed that line, we can bet on you. We think that there's a very good chance you'll succeed. But you're, to your question, how do you get these people? Well, number one, you have to be prepared to sell them like you would a venture capitalist. After all, they are giving up probably a six-figure job in a great company with a lot of security to come work for your no-name startup. Like you have to sell them. They are an, they're not just an employee. If they're taking equity in lieu of cash because you don't have cash, then they are an investor. So you have to put as much work into selling them on your vision, on your team, on your, your culture, everything that you would a venture capitalist. Number two, you need to go to where these people are. 
So a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake. They go to all these networking events and what they meet are other CEOs, other entrepreneurs starting their companies because they're out at all these same networking events. If you want a technical person, they may not be at these CEO networking events. There's not a lot of reason for them to go. They are probably, though, at a meetup group on the latest technology, you know, the blockchain, the Node.js, MongoDB, whatever it is, look up different platforms and platforms that might apply to what you're doing and look up the meetup groups and go to those places. Go to the, and also look online. Where are these people online? Where are they posting? They're different forums. Who's super helpful? How can you engage with them? I guarantee you, if you show up at a meetup group when there's, you know, that's packed with engineers, you're probably the only non-engineer there. Yes, you may not understand much of what they're talking about when, when there's a lecture or a panel up there, but afterwards, when you start socializing with them, you can make those connections that you would never otherwise make. So, and it's free. It's like these meetup groups are virtually nothing. Mm -hmm. It's like you don't have to put out an ad or anything. You just go. And the really, the way to get them on board is to make that personal connection, to really uh, understand who they are, listen to them, uh, try to figure out what they want, what they're looking for, and see if that aligns with what you're doing. And if you form that bond, you can ask them out to coffee after and get things going. And one thing leads to another, and you wind up with that amazing person on your team. Right. That's great advice to fish where the fish are. And sometimes we forget about that. I'm closer to this water hole, fish there, even though there's right. no fish there. We all go, you know, we all go to the kind of the groups that are in our business area. So if you're, if you're the CEO, you're going to like business networking events, trying to raise capital, but there may be a great marketing person that is at this marketing seminar, this marketing conference, or this marketing online thing. You, if you don't go there, you're not going to meet that person. So, Stephen, I'm wondering if you can tell me about a startup in your network that you maybe had low expectations for and then surprised you with its success. Let me tell you about a Canadian startup All right. that I uh, have been working with the past six months that is amazing. And they're not just amazing because of what they're doing. They're amazing because of where they've come from. So the head of the startup, he started the company with the vision to create a, an online place where entrepreneurs could go through an app, pitch their company in a very simple way and get investors. Now this, what he did was with no money, really with no money. And this is proof. He actually went out there, um, and got a developer in India to develop the software. He got a whole team together, spread across Canada and the United States, all working with really no money at all. And so I didn't know if this company would succeed or not because the space is crowded. There's AngelList, there's Start Engine, there's a whole bunch of players out there in the space. But um, I did believe in this guy. So I had low expectations at, at the start, except for the person. I thought, he's pretty incredible. And the, one of the most incredible things about him, his name is Manny, is that Manny is always positive. Like, no matter what you throw at him, he is he will bounce back, like, no matter what adversity he's facing. And they faced a lot of challenges, because when you start with no money, it's, and he didn't have a way to get more money, 
he was literally at a point where he could uh, not pay his rent, <laughs> whether where he couldn't uh, pay anybody. Um, he and it looked like the startup might just implode. But where a lot of people would have given up, Manny said, no, I'm going to figure this out. And he kept developing this idea. And it's called intro.vc, like introduction to VCs. And he pushed it out there and kind of molded it into a network for investors. So the first really social network for investors who are looking to share deals. And so it started in which in one area, which was too close to other players like AngelList and others, many other guys out there. And he uh, then figured out how to make it very distinct and unique. And that's when he exceeded my expectations. And he just raised his first round of funding. He is so relieved <laughs> because he can now pay his rent and pay his employees and, you know, survive. Like he was literally at the point where he said, I don't know if I can keep our lights on, like literally the lights on. Right. right. So, so when they, when he filled out the form for use of proceeds, he said, well, rent, Safeway. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was literally, he was telling me, I just need money to survive. Like, it's not even like pay my employees, like just to buy food on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Intro.vc. We'll look them up. And they are Canadian. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, fantastic. So you have a new book out, Surviving a Startup, which is, I think, a great name for a book about startups because it sets expectations early that, um, you know, that before you can expect to succeed, you have to survive. And yes. I think that's a really good uh, way to start. So you talk about in the book, you talk about ways to overcome obstacles and grow and thrive. What would you say are a couple of the most important steps for survival and success for entrepreneurs that coming out of your book? So I'll give you uh, a few examples. So number one, uh, I tell entrepreneurs when you're beginning, don't lock down on an idea. It can be very tempting to say, this is what our startup is doing. This is what we're doing. Um, but uh, what that does is it often closes a lot of doors because as soon as you say, this is what you were doing, you're saying, we're not going to look at any of these other things. We're focused on this at the beginning. You have to recognize your ignorance that you really, doing a great startup, innovating, making a breakthrough that nobody else in the world has made is tough. It usually doesn't happen when you're in the shower or lying in bed, you know, that idea just comes to you fully formed. It usually happens over a much longer period of time. So I tell entrepreneurs, go out there not with a single idea, and this is what differs from a lot of other people. Go out into the world, pick a direction, a direction you are really interested in. For example, you know, I want to make the fishing industry more sustainable. Uh, that is something I'm passionate about. I want to do it. I don't, I have a lot of ideas on how that's possible, but I am going to go in and start experimenting. And what you'll discover is that if you go into a business with a direction instead of an idea, your chance of success actually goes up because you may go to that the fishing industry with your idea for how to make it more sustainable. And they just look at you and say, we don't care. <laughs> All we care about is our profits. All we care about is, you know, our efficiency. Uh, we don't, you know, we we're, we're just going to do things the way we've always done them. And then your, your company is dead. But if you go in there and say, 
you know, I want to understand what you care about and figure out if there's a way to give you what you want and then also make you more sustainable. Uh, that uh, approach is where you are getting into their head really important when you're starting a company. And then when you go into that industry, you can start to experiment, try all sorts of different things to figure out how could they have less bycatch? How could they uh, pollute less with their nets? How could they you know, run their ships without burning all these fossil fuels, all these different things. And if you can find what solutions that not only uh, help them make the world a better place, but also help them save money, become more efficient, solve uh, problems that you may not even know that they have, then you're really onto something that can take off and grow. And that's really interesting because when you go in with a, a direction instead of an idea, then you don't hear no. And we all know how that can shut down a conversation. Instead of hearing no, and then you think, okay, what about tomorrow? Maybe that'll turn out better. Um, suddenly, you're, you, it's possible to have an actually robust conversation yes. about what they are interested in. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you're getting into a dialogue with them because you're not fixed on selling them your idea. Like if you lock down an idea, you're like you sell them and it's a yes or no. No, this is a dialogue. How can we work together to make your industry better? Like we have this great team, this technology, we have all these ideas. And then you find the ones that want to collaborate with you at the beginning and you start to experiment, like put something together in the real world because what's in your head or on paper often doesn't translate into the real world at all. There's another huge advantage of this. By starting with a direction, not an idea, you yourself don't get locked in because so many entrepreneurs out there I see fall in love with their products. They're just like, because they put in so much time, so much energy, their money, their reputation, that they feel like this has to succeed or I'm a failure. Like their identity, ends up overlapping with the identity of whatever product they're giving. And then if people start to say, no, we're not really interested, they they filter those out. They're like, you have to be interested. <laughs> well, we'll find somebody who is interested. I don't want right. to hear you're not interested because they're all invested in this before they've even proven there's a market there. And, and yet my question to you is that what gets someone, what, what motivates someone to go out there and try and sell an idea or to try and start a business is having that idea. So is it possible that you go out there with an idea, but with this very open mindset that says, this is just the conversation starter. If not this, then what else? That's that exactly right. It's exactly right. You go out there, it, it's a starting point. And it's even better if you can challenge yourself, even if you love one idea more than another, Challenge yourself because you're at the beginning. You don't have a lot of data. This is something new. If it's if you're really innovating and pushing the boundaries, nobody's done this before. Like they haven't done it. So you really have no idea if it'll succeed. You only have your your faith, and faith doesn't get you that far. It gets you like out the door, but it doesn't. The real world has to align with what you believe. So my advice to you is challenge yourself, and not just you, your entire team. And this is a great thing because if you don't have a lockdown idea then it's not your idea. Like when you ask somebody to join your company and you say, I want you to work on my idea, you're asking them to work on your idea, not theirs. If you go to them and say, we're, we're, we're passionate about this area, right? Like sustainable fishing. I want all of my team members to come up with great ideas, all of us. And we're gonna go out there and find out which ideas actually resonate. 
which ones actually make sense in the real world and where we can get customers that will actually propel our business. That's the proof. It's not whether it's my idea, your idea, or anybody's. It's what we do together that counts. That That's a great way to motivate and inspire your team. Right. So speaking of surviving a startup, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs when things just aren't going according to plan. They, they're not seeing the success they expected. People are saying, hey, quit. You can go be an accountant for Uncle Bill, whatever. Um, how do you know when, when it's time to double down and persevere because that's how you win or when it's time to quit? So I get asked this question a lot. So entrepreneurs will Darn, come, I thought it was a good question. Yeah. <laughs> well, not by, by not by podcast hosts, by entrepreneurs. <laughs> they'll come up to me right. and they'll say, Steve, or my nickname in Silicon Valley is Captain Hoff. They'll go, Captain, Captain Hoff, you know, tell me, should I quit? Should I I've been doing this for a year now? Uh, should I quit? And you know what I tell them? Every time they ask me that question, I say, Absolutely, you should quit. Quit today. Just throw it away and try something else. And it's not because I'm a sadist and I want to torture <laughs> these poor struggling entrepreneurs and see them you know, fail at what they're doing. It's because no entrepreneur in the world wants to quit. None of them. Like if you have an idea, you know, usually your whole identity is tied up in that and your money and everything else. And you've been working on this a while. You don't want to quit. Like by the time they come to me, they are literally, they know it's not working. They are absolutely sure. And they're just asking for permission to give up on this thing that isn't working. So I'm giving them permission to move forward. So there's a difference between quitting and failing. So failing is when you give up and you just don't do anything. Like you're just like, I'm done being an entrepreneur. Then you are a failure because you've decided you're a failure. You, you want to, you, you, you cannot succeed. But starting ideas are just experiments. And so I tell them, look, if an experiment isn't working out and you are scientists in the lab and you got data that says this isn't true empirically, there's nothing that su sustains this theory, you would stop, you would conclude that you should try a different experiment on something else. You a should rational have a, decision. Yes, rational decision. Yeah. So removing, uh, so I tell entrepreneurs, the really great entrepreneurs, um, they quit all the time. They'll try something, doesn't work. Try something else, doesn't work. Try something else, oh, it's working, working. Oh, doesn't work. And they'll keep doing that process until they hit it. And they will do that very fast. The number one reason I see startups fail after not putting together a good team is that even if you have a great team, but you stick with an idea that isn't working too long, you will, you, if you're going the wrong direction, you will just end up going off a cliff. So sticking with an idea that isn't working and refusing to, to try other things and be open to other ideas, that's a recipe for failure. Right, right, right. What do you see as the most common characteristics of successful entrepreneurs? So successful entrepreneurs, they, one, the one thing above and beyond everything else is they're great leaders. They are, if you're gonna be a, a CEO, you don't have to code well, you don't have to be the best marketing person, you don't have to be the best designer in the world, but you do have to be able to bring on board and motivate people that can do those things. So that's number one. Number two, like Manny I told you with Intro VC, they can get knocked down a hundred times and they're back on their feet. Like they're back on their feet and they are, they are very resilient. So they, they will not give up, number two. 
And then number three, uh, they're the type of people who are open to always asking questions, always questioning everything around this. Like, why do people do it that way? Couldn't they try it another way? Why do we do things this way? Is it just because we've always been doing it? What if we did it a different way? People who have that innate curiosity, that challenging orthodoxy, they tend to go farther. And you combine those three traits and you kind of have the magic recipe. That's amazing. Those three traits, uh, they, they cover a lot of ground. That's a, the, 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 those are uh, great examples. If someone's not a great leader and often entrepreneurs aren't to begin, how, do, how does one start? What, what are the characteristics of a leader that I could learn, that I could start to emulate? So some people are naturally gifted leaders and other people literally aren't. And our DNA plays a big role in this. How we are raised plays a big role. Some people are very shy. Some people are introverted. Some people are tone deaf <laughs> to other people. And some people just are uninspiring. Like they just cannot inspire. So they're different leadership styles. There's no one style uh, that people have to adopt. There are leaders who are very analytical um, and very kind of plain vanilla. And then there are leaders who are super inspirational, like always on like Elon Musk, right? Like Elon Musk is out there like leading the world, like in whatever direction he wants to go, you know, whether it's going to Mars or doing, you know, other crazy stuff. He's always, uh, he's, he's an out there leader. Not every entrepreneur has to be that type of leader, but I'll tell you what makes great leadership. And, and it isn't those necessarily the traits that like Elon Musk has. The traits that make a great leadership are can you build, construct, and maintain an environment where your team members feel motivated, where they feel like they this business is their business. And I'll give a couple tips, although you can go really deep on this, on leadership. One of my fundamental rules is called ask, don't tell. And it's a very simple rule for leadership that a lot of people just don't do. So instead of going around your office, let's say you're planning to do an event, right, for your company, or, and instead of going around and telling it because you've done a lot of events in your life and you know how it should be run, telling everybody what to do, you, you do this, you don't do that, go there, this is how we're going to run it, blah, 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 blah. That isn't the best type of leadership. That's one style. But a much better type of leadership is go to your team and say, we're doing this event. We want this event to be incredible. We want to blow people's minds. Guys, can you come up with ways that we can make this event more attractive, dif different than anything we or anybody else has done before? What are you doing? You're asking them. You're not telling them how to do it. So you're one person. You might have your own ideas, but the, your team might have 10 brains on them, you know, or 20. They, the, what you want to do is put all these brains to work. So when you go about your daily job in your office, whenever you're tempted to tell somebody what to do, replace that with a question. What, you know, you're tempted to go up to somebody and say, no, don't do that. Your priority is this. Don't say that. Say, what do you think your top priority is? And why do you think it's your top priority? Ask them. You might learn something like why they're doing X instead of Y. There may be a reason that they think X is more important. And if not, they will end up convincing themselves that maybe they should be doing Y. Um, you go 
when uh, you want your employees to uh, perform better, you know, instead of telling them work harder, <laughs> you know, stay later in the office, go and ask them, how can we meet this goal? Like, how can we move up the deadline? I know we said the deadline was three months out, but it's, we all know it's really important to get this product out there ahead of our competitors. How can we push that up a month? That's funny because that, that, I mean, it's such a simple thing. And, and, you know, as, as an interviewer, I've always been aware of the power of questions, but uh, the type of question you're talking about is one that takes away that, that reduces the conflict between you and another person, the potential conflict and puts you in the same team. Suddenly you're picking their brain, your problem becomes their problem. Yes. And you're, you're, you're basically not having to come up with the solutions. That's the beautiful part. Like how to get them to work harder, ask them, (laughs) how can we, how can we do this better? How can we be more productive? How can we uh, be more innovative? How can we uh, change? How can we all communicate better? Like you don't have to think up how to get your office communicating better. Ask your employees, how can we create a better corporate culture? Like, you know, your, your culture and your company. Ask your employees, you know, do you guys want to do more events? Do you guys, do you guys want to do any team building events? Oh, you do. Okay. Well, come up with one. <laughs> this, you know, you know, as the CEO, you often feel like you have to have all the answers. I'm telling you, you have, you don't have to have any answers. You just have to ask the right questions. And that's what your team is there to do. That's beautiful. I remember in, in my early days as a, as, as, as a nobody in a newsroom, um, we always had opinions on how things should be done, but nobody ever asked us. And one time we were asked, one time, I'm, I'm thinking this one job I had for eight years, and that was such a thrilling experience. Nothing came of it, but I still remember it as a good day. <laughs> yes, it's a good day. And what if every day were like that? You'd be like, begin, you'd begin to feel like this is my company. Like I get to set the direction. I get to decide what I work on today. I get to decide how we innovate and where we take this product, you know? It's every manager in, and it starts at the top. If you do that and then you hire managers and train them to do that, boom, that's great leadership. Stephen, looking ahead, what are the industries or niche opportunities that you're most excited about now? You mentioned AI earlier. How do we turn that into a direction for people? So there, the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur today is there are more opportunities now than there have ever been throughout history. And I'm not just hyping this up. It's true because more and more new technologies are emerging. And not only are they emerging, but they are more powerful than they ever were before. And these entire ecosystems have sprung up around all these different technologies. So we saw like the blockchain came out of nowhere, you know, created a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs. But for every blockchain, there's many more nascent ones being given birth all the time. So some areas I would love to see entrepreneurs focus on is space technology. There's a whole space ecosystem and you don't have to be one of the billionaire boys <laughs> with their rockets, their big rockets to play in this industry. Like let the Bezoses and the, the Musks of the world do that. What you can focus on is the whole other ecosystem. They need software for this industry. They need uh, a different uh robotics and parts and there's all these moving pieces in this industry like if you we're going to create a colony on the moon and someday on mars that you're going to need all that infrastructure software hardware and, and everything in between um huge opportunity for entrepreneurs 
Another one that's really nascent, but I think has a lot of potential, are brain-computer interfaces. So we know there are companies out there now building these devices that you, chips that you could insert into your brain or non-invasive devices that you can wear on your head, like uh, Interaxon's Muse, you know, and the founder of Interaxon came out of Canada, another one. Uh, These uh, devices are very primitive now, but they are about to take a huge leap forward. And when they do, are these, are these medical devices or? right now? They're mostly focused on, on a couple things. One is medical. If you're going to get a chip inserted in your brain, it's usually because you have a medical condition, <laughs> like you're completely paralyzed or things like that. Uh, however, uh, the non-invasive ones are being used for meditation. They're being used for controls like in video games. They're being used for, all, you know, they can, you can now with a non-invasive brain computer interface, turn off and on lights, things like that. Still at the early stages. But as soon as this technology takes the next leap forward, and we're not quite sure when that will happen, these devices will be our gateway to the internet. Instead of fumbling around with a phone, we'll literally be able to think and pull down information from the internet and upload information to the internet. That will completely transform the world. Instead of iOS and Android, somebody will invent the brain OS. And the company that does that will change, you know, humanity forever. Let me go further. CRISPR, gene editing technology. We have literally unlocked the source code to life on this planet. We can create new species of plants and animals that never existed before. We can cure previously incurable diseases. We can uh, start to manipulate our bodies, human bodies, to actually augment certain features we have, you know, whether it's controlling cholesterol through editing genes or potentially even making people smarter or stronger. All of these things are on the table. And the, the possibilities are literally endless. Like there are so many possibilities. Like there's a company um, I think they're Canadian called Aqua Bounty that actually made, but I know they did their first tests in Canada. Maybe that was it. They actually made gene edited salmon that grows twice as fast as regular salmon. And you're like, wow, like they could change a gene, like edit a gene in the salmon. And now salmon farmers, these big fish farmers can grow twice as many salmon in the same amount of time. So that's really interesting. And it might be four times as many salmon because the more you have there for the longer period of time, uh, the more problem with diseases and filth and everything. Exactly. So it could, so it could be, you know, exponential as opposed to just arithmetic. The, all these technologies are exponential. Like they don't just change things linearly. <laughs> they change it like an order of magnitude uh, effect on the business. And that's why I'm saying there's more opportunities. I'm just scratching the surface. You know, clean energy is another big one uh, that that has taken huge leaps forward. And their new materials are using things like graphene and batteries and all these new, new ways that are going to completely transform our planet and how we live our lives. As entrepreneurs out there, I'm like, look to these technologies because technology in itself doesn't really matter, but the technology is like a key that unlocks a door and that door is filled with opportunities, like how you apply this technology to the real world. Let me ask you a question that just occurs to me now. As you say, and I totally agree with you, everything is exponential. Every little niche now, because the technology is more powerful and because of the possibility of platforms, every small niche now has the possibility to become a a big niche. This puts a lot of pressure on the entrepreneurship development ecosystem of which you're a part. Um, How do we 
enable and 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 encourage entrepreneurs to think this big, that much bigger than we did a few years ago? How do we encourage them to be in touch with the the, the cutting edge of uh, of science? Do we have to do different? Do do, do we do we does, does the way we help them have to change? Do we have to do things differently? I think uh, inspiring and educating people is really important. The, we, the biggest reason people become entrepreneurs, the number one reason out of all reasons is they see other people they in their peer group uh, who they think, oh, they're no better than I am, becoming successful. That's why people do it. So what we've seen now is we're on we're on a good track like more and more people than ever before are becoming entrepreneurs because they're seeing all these success stories around them and this is why success tends to start in pockets like silicon valley because you're in silicon valley a few people make a success other people see they're making oh i could do that too they jump on board then more and more and more people start to hop on board and what we've seen is entrepreneurial hubs popping up all over the globe where this is happening to make people think bigger and dream bigger is really important because I often tell entrepreneurs that it's just as hard to start a small business like an ice cream store in your hometown <laughs> and be successful as it is to start a potentially multi-billion dollar business. So, you know, both of these will require all your time and all your work and all your energy, you know, to make it successful. But one, the payoff is stratospheric and the other one the payoff is you know modest why not go for the big one right right how do we get them to think bigger I mean, what, what, what's the secret there how what what has to change in order to help them to help our entrepreneurs vision keep pace with the p possibilities i always tell entrepreneurs don't think what of what you can do Think of what is possible. So a lot of us say, oh, I don't know how to do that. That's too hard. I, you know, I don't even know if the technology exists. I, I won't go there. So they, they literally stop themselves from thinking big. Other entrepreneurs, as you can see, actually go out and say, I don't know if it's possible, but I'm going to try. Like, I'm, go I'm going to shoot for, we call it moonshots in Silicon Valley. I shoot for the moon. If I only get into orbit, that's a lot further than I would have gotten if I stayed on the ground with what I knew was possible. And so you see people like Elon Musk, you know, he's a great example of somebody like every legitimate scientist you talk to five, 10 years ago would have told you it is absolutely impossible to start a colony of humans on the Mars anytime in the next several decades. Like, it's just not possible. Elon Musk just ignores them. <laughs> like, he, he just ignores them. Today, he's, you know, some scientists are saying it may be possible. Still, the majority think it's impossible. But he doesn't care. He's like, in 10 years, we're going to have humans on Mars. We're going to have a colony. You know, he's just going for it. It's a great example. Wow. Um, so you've written a book about how technology is changing things. You've written a book about innovation. You've written a book about surviving a startup. Um, what's your next book? Oh, so my next book is going to be, I'm debating that actually right now, but I, I really want to uh, uh, write a book about advice that people can take uh, that can allow them to achieve more in whatever they're going, whatever they're doing. So a book of, of really deep insights on what makes human psychology, how you can change your psychology and step up to become the type of person you want to be. Without That's a, my next one. Without a chip in your head. 
Yeah, without a chip in your head. <laughs> but if you want a chip in your head, read The Five Forces. That book also got published this past year. And that uh, really goes deep on brain-computer interfaces and AI and all that new technology. And that's The Five Forces That Change Everything, uh, your, which is your other 2021 book. You, have, you make us real writers look pale in comparison. So congrats, <laughs> congrats well, on COVID. that. COVID helped me become very productive in the writing category. Absolutely. Stephen, it's been amazing chatting with you about your history, some of your ideas, and what you're seeing uh, in the startup space. Uh, it's been really fascinating. I, I will call you Captain Hoff because you are indeed in charge of the ship. Uh, I, I, I love this stuff. And thank you for being able to talk about these things in such a um, uh, simple terms, such conversational terms that, that, that make it so uh, so available to everybody uh, to understand. Final question here at the Startup Canada podcast. What's the most actionable piece of advice that you'd like entrepreneurs to take away today that they could put into action in their business immediately? So if you're an entrepreneur out there and you are working on your business and going into your business every day thinking, I need to make this business better. I need to innovate. I need to push our company further. What I would do is very simple. Make a list of all the things that you think are true and not just do this alone. Have your team do it. Like put all of our assumptions of everything that's true about our industry, about our business, about the way we do stuff. And then together as a group with your team, challenge each one. Do we still have to do it this way? What could we do differently? Are there new technologies out there that we could do this? And as you ask those questions, have people in your group volunteer your team. You don't have time to do this as a CEO, but have people who, who are naturally interested volunteer to explore that. Like, okay, Sally, you check this out and find out if there's software, we, we could do this more efficiently. Okay, James, you go and you see if this technology is out there for, or this, there's a way for us to do this. Talk to our customers, see if they actually want this. Challenge your assumptions every week. Every week, challenge your assumptions and you will suddenly turn your, your, your kind of normal startup into an innovation hotbed. That's really interesting. I've always had this feeling that it's the things we think we know are true that hold us back. Right, because you and don't question them. Like you, you, don't, right. you, you don't question them, so you're just going to do them the same way as always. And that could give you that competitive edge that allows you to leapfrog your competition. And it doesn't have to be one big idea. A lot of small changes in an organization can add up to a huge change in your productivity. All right. We'll leave it at that. Stephen, thank you so much. This has been a, a, a great show. I'm going to listen to it twice just to make sure I get all the good stuff out of it. Thank you so much for what you're doing for entrepreneurs, and I look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.